We've already stood. We're going to pray over it. Let me take a moment of time to give you just a little bit of context and kind of let you know where I'm going. Um, you know, it's been a little bit more difficult for the latter couple of weeks because I felt a compulsion in my heart to share with you some of the things that are kind of, at least from my particular perspective, a biblical perspective, some of the things that are kind of happening nationwide with such a conflict in the, in the you know, different purposes and agendas from the homosexual agenda and stuff like that. And it's hard as a pastor to talk about all this, you know, publicly because there's such a perception that if you say anything at all, that, that there's malice in your heart. And that's the farthest from the truth today, okay? And I have done my very best to try to lay bare and just to lay that flat and say, you know, that one of the passages that we referenced in 2 Corinthians last week, as I noted, you know, as we took it and we defined homosexuality according to the Scripture because there's so much being propagated in our culture today. So many things. You know, on Easter Sunday, three weeks ago, I preached from a context in the uh, book of Peter about, said that Peter said that people will rest the Scripture. That word rest meant they will misconstrue or twist it or misinterpret it. We see so much of that in our generation today that we're living in. People adapt the word to their lifestyle choices rather than taking their life and becoming conformable to the word of God. Okay, and so it's at the same time, here I am as a pastor trying to address these very sensitive subjects, trying to do it in the right spirit so that the perception, you know, that I don't fall prey to this uh, you know, to this movement in, the, in our culture that if any Christian resistance to anything that we're hateful or haters or bigots or, you know, whatever, all those things. And, and, and it, it becomes a little bit intimidating, just to be honest. It does. And you have, to, you have to dig down and you have to say, but you know that passage in 2 Corinthians when Paul mentioned and referenced several of those, uh, of those sins, he said this, he, he concluded and he said, and such were some of you. The reason why we know of the depth of sin is because we were in the depth of sin ourselves. We, walked, we, were, we, we lived in a sinful lifestyle. We were sinners and we enjoyed sin. But then when we realized how destructive it was and the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon us and God delivered us from that sin, we feel compelled to share with people that there's a better way of living. Come on, somebody. You can, uh, you know, live life conformable to the will of God. So whether you are a longtime member slash adherent or you're very new to our fellowship today, listen, you got to just let me speak to this subject today. You know, I, I didn't bring it to, to, to you. It was brought to us. You know what I'm saying? The culture has brought this right to the church and just kind of put it right in front of us in such a way that you're forced to respond to it. My, you know, I'm not an activist. I've never picketed anything. Um, I have never made a sign and stood outside of the courthouse. I'm not against those things, and sometimes that's necessary. I'm a pastor slash teacher, and my responsibility is to teach people sound doctrine, okay? That's what God has taught, and has taught me as a pastor. And, and, and in doing so, that sound doctrine can sometimes be contrary to the wave of lifestyle and, and personal choices that people in our culture are making. But it doesn't necessarily change the responsibility that I have to share and to speak what the Scriptures say. 
Come on, somebody. And so I've been praying and asking God because I'm not necessarily a confrontational person. I'm more just about a, I'm just more about a teacher and instructor. I'm an encourager by nature. I'm just being honest with you today. That's why I didn't wear a suit and tie today because I wanted to be as casual as I could because I didn't want any of that persona that comes with just feeling, you know, all, all you know, tie on and everything. I just wanted to feel just a little bit, you know, I'm just, I'm an exhorter. I'm an encourager. That's just the way I live life. You know, I try to live life with a smile on my face. I want to be around people that when you're down, I want to try to lift you up. But at the same time, I can't run away from a, a, a compelling work of the Spirit in my life that there is a word from God to address some of the cultural issues that we are facing in our generation today. Every generation has certain things that they're having to face, and we are at pivotal moments in the history of America. And so let me just tell you where I'm going to be at next Sunday, April the 26th. Last Sunday, I took and I just defined the, 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 the homosexuality according to the Scriptures to answer the question, is it a sin? And to just to define it from all the way back to the book of Genesis all the way into the New Testament epistles. Next week I'm going to be joining with the Family Research Council as they have chosen to call April 26th Stand for Marriage Sunday. And the reason why that, that, that date is chosen, on Tuesday, April the 28th, the Supreme Court will be hearing the initial arguments as to whether or not a, the states, individual states in the United States, have the right to maintain the Defense of Marriage Act, Okay. So it's a really big deal that's going on. And so um, I'm going to call April the 28th a day of fasting and prayer, have church open all during the day. Anybody wants to come forth and pray, and I'll be sharing about a stand for marriage on April the 26th. But let me go and let's just attach a couple things real quickly. Now, before we even get to our text, concerning the multifaceted subject of homosexuality, there are diverse sides questions and arguments, some of which I make no response nor do I give an opinion, okay? Because some of it would be exactly that. It is an opinion. Let me touch on a couple things that you may be unaware of, though, just real quickly, though. What we're seeing today, the big emphasis in the media and our culture is discrimination, whether if you speak out, you know, it won't be long. It will not be long for what I did last Sunday in a non-threatening environment where I simply taught the Scriptures, Okay, that's all I did was teach the scriptures. It will not be long that that will be illegal in the United States of America and that I would be at risk of being hauled off to jail for uh, some type of uh, hate-filled discrimination against a particular labeled class of people. But you know what? Discrimination is not the issue, and it's never really been the issue. I'll give you an example really quickly. Does anybody remember, like Dr. Brassel sharing uh, about a year ago when he talked about that baker in Colorado that refused to bake a cake on behalf of a, a homosexual couple that asked them to bake a cake for their wedding. And, and that later man refused to do so. And so it kind of brought about this national media and they were brought to court and to trial and they were found guilty of discrimination. And thus that's launched some of the things that we're talking about, you know, and that the media is talking about and states are having to deal with. And I'm not giving an opinion whether or not yay or nay. I'm not going to tell you whether I would bake the cake or whether I wouldn't bake the cake. Or not, but I will say this. But what you don't know, some of you may have not heard, is that it, so in response to that court decision, a Christian went down to a baker in Colorado and asked that two cakes be made. And then these two cakes both were in the shape of a Bible. They would have been folded out like this right here. And on one side, here's what was written. On one side, he asked this. He it wasn't written. He asked this to be written: Psalm 45 and 7. God hates sin. 
On the other side, he asks this to be written on the cake. Homosexuality is a detestable sin, Leviticus 18 and 22. Two scriptures, uh, both from the New International Version. On the second cake, he asks that it say, God loves sinners. And on the second page of the second cake, he, had, he wanted it to be written, Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, and then the one thing that he, the one thing that he did ask, he asked that they actually put a little drawing of two groomsmen on there in the backdrop of a cross like we have here. And then he kind of wanted the circle with the X through it in the backdrop of that God was not affirming this. The baker refused to bake that cake. So it went to court as well, but the judge sided with the baker on this issue. So, so discrimination is really not the it's really not the heart of it. That's not what the the, the particular issue that's that's here. It's not about acceptance of homosexuality or acceptance of it. That's not the issue because I can accept the fact that I can't stop somebody's personal behavior. I can I, I can't go home with you. I don't want to go home with you. And and I can't stop the fact. I can't I can't determine what you do in private. But here's the real issue. Affirmation is the issue. Affirmation is the issue. The those that propagate the homosexual lifestyle or the homosexual marriage, they want the church to affirm it. That's really what's at stake, okay? And the reason why that is because, in essence, that is idolatry, and we'll just talk a little bit more, maybe maybe not, real quickly. So there's a lot of things real quickly. But what I've asked you to do last week, I'm going to ask you to do it one more time. If you and I can remove all political correction, if we can, if you can remove your own personal emotion over the issue, if you can remove the fact that, uh, that somehow or another you're, you're very closely connected to a family member or friend that's a homosexual and you, so you have deep personal feelings. And I've shared with you publicly that there are people in our church family that have close friendships or family members, even sons and daughters. And so I understand the emotion is very deep, very, very deep. But you know, I also know that sometimes God asks us to step back and remove emotion and let emotion dictate who we are. We're not to live by emotion, we're to live by faith. Hello, somebody. And so it's difficult to do, but I just, if you will just consider for a singular moment the, simp- the, the act of homosexual intercourse, then you can conclude it is an unnatural abuse of human sexuality. Okay? It is an unnatural abuse of human sexuality. And for the male homosexual, it is or can be a violent, physically destructive, and deliberating means of sexual gratification. Okay? Let's go just a little bit further. There are so many statistics, and I'm a, not a statistician. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't gloat and glory in statistics. But let me just give you a couple of these to just kind of, kind of give you that wake up call for just a moment. That because sometimes we've been we've been pressured to accept it and to somehow make it the same as heterosexual activity, and it's not. It's an unnatural. Y'all hear what I'm saying today? You know that it is. It's an unnatural uh, means of sexual gratification. Eighty-three percent of homosexual men have sex in their lifetime with over 50 persons, okay? Forty-three percent will have sex with over 500 persons. And 28 percent of the roughly 1.5 to 2 million homosexual men in the United States of America will have, 28 percent will have sex with over 1,000 men during their lifetime. Now, of those, 79 percent uh, 79% said half of those encounters was a one-night stand. It was a stranger. They met at a bar. They met in a bathroom, whatever the case. Um, so, so it's, you know, it's, it's gratification uh, at the highest level. And so we go, further for, go a little bit further, just stats for just a moment. In a homosexual relationship, uh, in the context of what is monogamous, 
only 4.5%, only 4.5% of men and men and women and women will stay with just that one person in the course of their lifetime. Most homosexual partnerships, so if they are in what's supposedly a monogamous relationship, most have created the means for each individual to have at least five to eight additional homosexual counters per year. Now, we don't do that in heterosexual marriage, I'm pretty sure. It ain't going on in the brown house, I can just tell you that. I don't know what's going on in your house. But I'm telling you, that wouldn't fly. Miss Sherry's pretty calm, but I don't think that would be working. You know, I could get her to sign a con. No, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay? So I'm just trying to show you. See, we've been, we've been duped by a spirit that it's kind of equal. It's not equal. It's totally different. It's, 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 a, it's a major contrast. You know, I don't have to tell you, you already know this, but it's a much higher risk of sexually transmitted diseases. Right? You know, we've had a big push in our culture in the last six years about eat right, live right, you know, and, and even from the presidential force, you know, Michelle Obama taking the kids as french fries away at the lunchroom, you know, and stuff like that. But listen, you, you might get a little saturated fat from eating some french fries, but you can pick up a lot worse living a homosexual lifestyle. I know it's not popular, but it's true. Somebody said... No, I'll just leave it right there. Come on. All right, homosexual men for just a moment. These are sad statistics, and I'm just being honest with you. 20 years, their lifespan is 20 years shorter than heterosexual men. So we face a lot of myths and lies and propaganda, right? We just do. And, and the attempt that we're seeing today is an attempt to create a protected class of people. Now, let me say this. There are those that are simply just caught in the vice of homosexuality. And I understand that. That's the people that you know. That's family members. They're simply caught in the vice. They don't consider it a vice. You probably do. But they're caught there. But there are others, and that's all they're concerned about. They're just concerned about relationship or sexuality. But there are others that have an agenda. And that's what I think that we're, we've really not recognized. Yes, there are those at this level. But think about Let's use this for a moment of time in the drug world. At the drug world, we got the users, right? And that's, that's who we know for the most part. We've got family and friends and, and, and people in the church and all this that get caught in the, in the difficulty of the drug world. But how many know then there's the next step above the drug world? Then there's the drug pusher, right? Then there's the drug trafficker. Then there's the manufacturer. How many know each level is a whole different agenda and purpose and depth to it? And lastly, at the top is the drug lord, where he'll just chop your head off and move on to the next person if you're not doing his bidding because he's empowered by wealth and riches and by satanic spirit. Well, think about that. Make that comparison in the homosexual world for just a moment. There are those that simply gratify their sexual desires through that means. But then go, there's another level. There are people that are militant. There are those that are actually militant that practice sodomy in a militant way. There are those that want to intimidate. There are those that want to redefine the way that you think and the way that you understand sexuality. There are those that want to redefine marriage for all humanity. There are those that want to lower the age of sexual consent all the way down to its young children. There's so much. It's a much bigger package. And I know sometimes we just deal with it at the lower level, but you have to realize there is an agenda behind it. And my job as a pastor is, again, I'm not trying to create a... Uh, an activist uh, movement. I'm trying to just simply teach people a biblical understanding 
so you can know what does the Scripture say. We're supposed to be people of the Word. Come on, we walk by the dictates of the Word, not by the culture. We want to be conformable to Christ, not to the culture. Amen? And so that's my responsibility. And I'm hoping and praying that we do create a measure of a spiritual resistance because I think there's a spirit behind it. I think there's a spirit behind in the fact that 2% of the American population can intimidate the other 98%. Something is at work. Something's out of whack there for just a moment. But here's the thing that I deal with. The question that some of you have in response to my teaching and preaching in this context is this. Well, pastor, is that your responsibility? I know that's what you think. I mean, you may not ask it. You may not ever come to me and say, well, pastor, is that your responsibility? I'm going to answer it for you here today. I'm going to answer, is it the church? Am I out of order? Let me ask that question again. Am I out of order biblically by teaching the scriptural response to this issue and the obvious health risk and by exhorting our fellowship to not be afraid or intimidated by the militant homosexual agenda and its corruption in our society and government? Am I out of order? Am I functioning out of a biblical context? Am I uh, doing something that Paul wouldn't do or the apostles wouldn't do? Or am I doing something that, that they wouldn't expect me as a, you know, a, a generational preacher all the way down from the first apostles until the preachers that are in the earth today? I hope that through the teaching today you'll understand. We're going to go to Ephesians 5, and we're going to read here together for a few moments. We're going to read in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Now remember, as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, almost all of these Gentile cities are Grecian cities that, were, that, 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 that had corrupt lifestyles. And that's why Paul is, is in teaching them. Paul would teach the Christians that had come into the kingdom of God, that they were not Jews. The Jews had the law, and their lives were conformable to the law. But the Gentiles, you know, that's why Paul, if I were to back up, we're going to be in the fifth chapter, but the 17th verse of the fourth chapter said this. It said, don't be like the other Gentiles and walk and live life who walk in the vanity of their mind. You know, we got to live life different. Well, God expects you as a believer. I've said it a hundred times since I've been the pastor. This is not Burger King. You cannot have it your way. You have to conform your life. You become submissive to him. You, you know, God is not an idol. The reason idolatry, uh, you know, spread so quickly in the early days before the revelation of who God was is God, men wanted a God that they could bend to their own dictates and desires. So if you didn't like this God, you just took a, clump of clay, a lump of clay and you made a new God. That's what people do today. And, and, but, but I'm telling you, but when God revealed himself to us, he expects us to be conformable to his will for our lives. And so in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, he said, Therefore, be ye therefore, first verse, followers of God as dear children. Imitate God. Desire to be like God. If you're really born again, you want to be like the Father. You want to be holy, and, and, and I understand you saying what I mean by that is you want to be conformable to what you see in the reflection of who God is. You say, well, pastor, how can I know this invisible God? He revealed himself to us in the person of Christ. You want to seek God? See Christ. You want to know how God looks and acts and moves? Well, look at Jesus, and then you can follow him. Walk in love. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. That particular word fornication deals with different variations of sexuality 
When we think of fornication, King James English, we think about just simply sex outside of marriage. We think of teenage kids fornicating, but really it's a different connotation. It can be idolatrous sex. It can be deviant sex. It can be homosexual acts. So it's a larger application. Paul is saying, and all uncleanness, don't even let it be named among you as become a saint. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, they're not convenient. So Paul is speaking to us about conforming our life. If we're going to walk, if we're going to be a follower of God, then we become conformable to God. And for this you know, look at the fifth verse, once again, that no whoremonger, the word whoremonger again, as I noted last week, addresses both sexuality and, and, and homosexuality. It's not just the context of a man going to have sexual experiences with a harlot or a prostitute, but, it, but it's a broader term. Or an unclean person or a covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. That's why it's a big deal. Look at what he's saying there. This cannot be swept under a rug. We cannot perceive that this does not affect somebody's eternal life. He said, let no man deceive you with vain words. Don't let anybody, I don't care how many seminaries they went to. I don't care what office they might sit in. He said, look at this. Don't let anybody deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. It's a real deal. We, it's our responsibility to teach men and women the truth. Come on, somebody. And so look at the seventh verse. Do not be partakers with them. For you were sometimes... And it doesn't mean, and if you understand the, the other passages of Scripture, it doesn't mean that your life doesn't have any interaction with covetous people or fornicators. It means, again, that we're not supporting choices that are made. Don't be a partaker with them. For you were sometimes darkness... That's who we used to be. The reason we can stand against sexual sin and teach people is because we used to be sexually sinful. But then the blood was applied. Come on, somebody. And we were forgiven of our sin and we were made whole and, and, and we used to live that way. We were darkness. We lived in darkness. We reveled in darkness. But now a change has come. Hallelujah. Come on, now what are we? We are light in the Lord. Come on, we are light in the Lord. Walk as what? Children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. Now notice this. Let's read this the right way. The fruit of the Spirit means the product of the Spirit. What will the Spirit produce in your life? What will He produce? The Holy Spirit working and living in your life. What's He going to do? He's going to produce goodness and righteousness and truth. Come on, that's why when you are born of the Holy Spirit, truly born of God, not just religious, not a form of godliness, not just going to church, not have on the right suit, not have on the, uh, the, just all the looks of Christianity, but when you're really born of the Spirit, a change has worked in you and it's lived out in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. We'll talk more about that latter in just a moment. And as, it, as, as that begins to flow out of your life, look at the 10th verse. This is what happens. Then you're able to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. As believers then, because of our communion with God, communion with the Father through the Holy Spirit, we're able to say, man, this is of God. And then we're able to say, man, that ain't of God. Right? We're able to say, man, that's destructive to human life. It's destructive to the image of God from which you were made. We have the ability to do so. We can prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. Eleventh verse, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather what? 
Reprove them. Note that word. We'll come back to it in just a moment. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Well, pastor, you shouldn't be talking about these things. It's not done in secret anymore. It used to be done in secret, but now it's flaunted everywhere. So I have to talk about them. Again, I didn't bring this to argument to the, to the culture. The culture brought it to us. It's forced us to deal with it and respond to it. All things that are, there's that word again, notice this, this time it's uh, reproved, are made manifest by the light. We'll talk about that in a moment. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. How many of you know that's the gospel? Come on, God awakens us from our spiritual death, our spiritual slumber. He gives us light. So then, how are we to walk? Circumspectly, cautiously, not as fools, but as what? As wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I know when you walk wise, you gotta, you gotta, uh, you know, you have to choose your arguments. You have to choose your moments. You know, you don't just stand up in the middle of your desk and start speaking. I mean, you gotta, you gotta use wisdom, right? It's that's the issue that we gotta use wisdom. But our objective is to redeem the time. Because the days are evil. We have but a short period of time to make a difference in the lives of men and women. So therefore we are to be not unwise, but we are to understand what the will of the Lord is. It's a powerful passage of scripture that it was initiated by being a follower of God. Now let's go into two words here. Reprove, 11th verse, and we reprove. Because here it seems to me, based upon my uh, way that I interpret the scripture, that Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus and he's saying to not have fellowship with the, unworkful, the unfruitful works of darkness, but we are to rather to reprove them. And not just necessarily in the Christian community. Well, the word reprove and reproved are the same word in the Greek. And here's what they mean. They mean to confute which, and to admonish, to convict and to convince, to rebuke or to tell a fault. To expose some things is what he's speaking. When he uses the word reprove, he's saying don't have fellowship with those works of darkness, but rather reprove them, admonish them. In essence, he's saying even confute these things, stand against these things. It uses the word convict, which is a judicial term. You say, again, in the 13th verse, it says, well, how are things reproved? How are things exposed? How are things made known? Well, they're made known by the light. And then when you think about light for a moment in a biblical context for just a moment, think about light. So let's just create this moment. There are things that people practice in darkness, People practice in darkness. The Bible says that, that, that we are to expose those things. It says it's the light that exposes those things. So what is that light? We say, well, if, when you think of the biblical context, the first thing about light is you think about Jesus. Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Right? Stay with me. The second thing about light you think about is the church. You are the city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Jesus said, don't light the candle, put it under a bushel, but put it on a candlestick, Correct? But I believe that he's talking about right here is he's talking about the light of the truth. That as the church, our responsibility is to shine the light of truth to men and women that sit in darkness. And it's not all just through preaching and teaching. It begins by living a holy, godly life. See, because if you're not living a holy, godly life and you're preaching to others, you're a hypocrite. And you're just, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And God looks down upon that. But if we're living a holy and a godly life and he's worked in our heart and there's no malice in us, we live a life of truth and we speak the truth in love. 
Ephesians 4, the 25th verse says that we are to put away lying, speak the truth with every man's neighbor. 15th verse says we are to speak the truth in love. That's the responsibility of the church. Psalm 43 and 3 said, Send out thy light and thy truth and let them bring me to the holy hill and to thy tabernacles. It's our responsibility to expose the sin that's hid in darkness and allow the Spirit of God to convict the heart. See, the Spirit of God will produce in us goodness and righteousness and truth. And through this, we will prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. You can't ask heathens heathens what's acceptable unto the Lord. You can't ask politicians what's acceptable unto the Lord. You go to the Word of God. And you study it and it produces it in your own life. But it's unfortunate that we live in a generation where many are hardened. Many in our generation are hardened against the truth. They just want you to pacify them rather than expose. Let me just tell you, the Bible speaks of a day in the way of truth would be spoken of as evil. And we've seen it in America today. We see it. The media calls a pastor like me who has a love for people a bigot, intolerant rather than someone that says, I love you enough to tell you the truth. We live in a generation where it says that, that, that some will hold the truth in unrighteousness. The Bible says in Romans 1, there will be some that will change the truth into a lie. Romans 2 and 8 says, there are those who will, do, who will not obey the truth. 1 Timothy 6 says, there are those who are destitute of the truth. 2 Timothy 2 says, there are those who have, concerning the truth, they have erred, they have slipped, they have gravitated away. 2 Timothy 3 and 8 are those who will resist the truth. We live in that day. We live in that day when there are those that are resisting the truth that's being shared. 2 Thessalonians says that there are those who will receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. 1 Timothy 6 said that will come a time when men will be of corrupt minds and they will be destitute of the truth. 2 Timothy 4 and 4 said there will come a time when there are those who will turn away their ears. It even happens in the church. I said it last week. There are those, the moment I start talking about this subject, then immediately people just, some of them just check out, zoned out, thinking about tomorrow's activities. They're hearing, it's going right past them, not penetrating in at all, not going into their heart and mind, because they've got a predetermined mindset, already affected by the culture, and anything else doesn't matter. I'm just white noise in the background, okay? I can't help you if that's the way that you are responding to the Word of God. I didn't write this, people. I just study the Scriptures, and this is what the Word says. In Titus 1, in the fourth verse, it says that there will be those that will hold to commandments of men that turn away from the truth. Let me tell you what your and my responsibility as a believer is. It is to live a life. It is to live a life of truth, to speak the truth in love to speak every man truth with his neighbor. And in order to speak the truth, you often have to reprove, which means you attempt to convince somebody or to prove that a person is wrong. It's difficult to do. And I know you have to be wise in choosing those moments, but it's still our responsibility. There are those in the church that think it's wrong for Christians to say or do anything that might offend, including the reproving of the sinful act of homosexuality and our government's attempt to persuade people that it is normal human behavior. But i got a few questions for you that think it's wrong for the church to reprove certain issues in the lives of men and women. Was it wrong when the prophet Nathan went into the king's court and pointed his finger at David and said, David... You are at fault for your sin of adultery and you need to repent before God. Was that wrong? Was it wrong when Elijah responded to the false accusation of the wicked king Ahab when that idolatrous king said to Elijah, you are the man that troubles Israel 
and Elijah said this. He said, I've not troubled Israel, but you have troubled Israel and your father's house because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed Baal worship. Was it wrong when Elijah responded? Was it wrong when John told Herod, it's not right for you to take your brother's wife, to have an illicit sexual affair with her, and then, notice this, and then take her as your wife? Was it wrong when he reproved him? Was it wrong when the Hebrew children, the three Hebrew children were told to bow in front of the statue? And if you don't bow, you're going to burn. And the three children squared their soldiers back, their shoulders back and said, King, we're going to tell you, we may burn, but there's one thing we're not going to do. We're not going to bow. And I tell you, I hope that we're going to see a, a generation of men and women in the church rise up and say, I don't care what the culture says. I don't care how much pressure is put upon us to bow before this idolatrous spirit of acceptance of a way of lifestyle that's destructive to humanity. But we have the courage to say, we may burn, but we're not going to bow because we know in whom we have believed. And I believe that in my heart today. Was it wrong for the Apostle Paul to rebuke Eliamus the sorcerer in Acts 13 because Eliamus was attempting to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Was it wrong? The militant homosexual agenda has the church backed in our little houses of worship. We're back. Remember the days of Sodom? Remember when the two messengers came to town and Lot brought them into, their, into his house? They were messengers, angels that were coming to speak to Lot about the soon-be destruction upon the city. The Bible says at night all the Sodomites arose and came and pushed against the house. It seems like that's what's happened in our culture today. The church is backed into our four walls and we're afraid of what's going on out and about in the darkness of this world. The, the, the community has us backed away. And I want you to notice this for just a moment of time that in that passage of Scripture in the book of Genesis it's a parallel to the culture in which we live today. Remember when Lot came out and said, man, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't take these men. Don't try to sodomize these men. You you know what the sodomites said to Lot? They said, who made you a judge over us? Is that not what we hear in our culture today? Who gave you the right to speak to us? Who gave you the right? I'll tell you who gave us the right. My mom used to say this. She'd say this. Who died and made you the boss? I'll tell you who died and left me the boss. Come on, somebody. He died. He gave us his word. He was raised again. He gave us an anointing. He gave me a commandment. He said, speak to the darkness of the world. Love people enough that you won't allow them to sit there and wallow in their death and their decay and their disease and their destructive life without shining the light light, be courageous, go into the darkness and pull men out of darkness in Jesus' name. That's our responsibility. That's the church's job. We're not to just pacify. This is not a social network. This is not a social club. If you want to join a social club, join the Thunderbird. But if you want to be a part of a movement in the kingdom of God, then join God's victorious army. Glory to God. Hallelujah. What, here's what I've noticed is that we remember what happened when those two men were, those two messengers were in the house of Lot and the Sodomites were coming against them. Remember the Bible says that they were smote with blindness and they could no longer find their way. You know what often causes blindness? Light. Do you, why? Why does 2% of the country intimidate the other 98%? Come on somebody, Why? It's because as a whole, the church is not speaking the truth. Because if we spoke the truth, the light of truth would cause that agenda to stumble. That's what would happen. 
We have men, I want to just say this with all clarity today. We have men practicing, uh, we have practicing pastors, ecclesiastical uh, leaders endorsing and practicing homosexual uh, behavior. So think about that for just a moment. There are those that this very day, this very day will be in a building like ours in the backdrop of a cross. They'll have a Bible on a podium. They'll say certain things. They might sprinkle with water. They might do a blessing. They might do all these things. And then they'll go home and sleep in the same bed with their homosexual lover. The Bible warned of a day when men will have a form of godliness but deny the true power of the gospel. The power of the gospel changes your life. The power of the gospel takes you out of that sinful life. It doesn't endorse it. It doesn't put you back in the bed with it, but it delivers you from it. That's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel has to be preached. We speak the truth in love. Many in the church refuse to stand for biblical principles because it might offend somebody. But our responsibility is to speak the truth in love. I'm getting ready to close in just a moment, but stay with me for a few moments more. We have a misconception that needs to be corrected. What is the opposite of evil? That's what most people think, and that's where we're in error. I'm going to show you what Jesus taught as the opposite of evil. Go to John, the third chapter. Uh, Thank you for that response. You fell right into the trap. And I understand the context that most of you were thinking, and to a degree, certainly it is a parallel. But now let's see what Jesus had to say. Third chapter of John, 19th verse. This is the condemnation. Light is coming to the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. I'm telling you, it's not easy to convince people. Men love darkness. Sin is gratifying, right? You remember when you were trapped in sin, She thought, man, it's so hard to be how ignorant we can be as sinners. We can trade this sinful lifestyle that's passing away that is up one day, down the next, uh, gratified one day and longing the next, or we can trade it for eternal life in the glories of God. What a transaction. And we're still sitting there debating. Are y'all with me today? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? How, how we can be blinded in this context. So here's this. He said, light is coming to condemnation. Or light, this is the condemnation. Light is coming to the world. Men love darkness rather than light. It's not easy to always convince men of their need to repent. Why? Because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Come on. Neither cometh to the light. Why? Because if he comes to the light... His deeds will be reproved. Uh Uh-oh. Because if he comes to the light, it's going to expose the issues of their life. And so that's why men, and that's why we were reluctant to come to God because we thought it would hurt in such a way when we had our deeds exposed. But notice this. But he that doeth truth. He didn't say he that doeth good because a lot of evil people do good things. So evil is not the opposite of good or good is not the opposite of evil but truth is the opposite of evil he that he didn't say doeth good he said but he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God see there are some people that think that if you just serve people in kindness and do them good you're fulfilling the ministry of Jesus They think, well, it's just our responsibility to serve people in kindness. Let me tell you about Jesus, the Jesus that I know. Jesus spoke the truth. 
Above all else, matter of fact, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That was something they didn't want to hear. He said, I am the only access to the Father. You can try to tunnel up around. You can try to go over the hill. It's not going to matter. I am the door. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. The same principle applies. Jesus spoke the truth. He unmasked the deception. He exposed the hypocrisy. He was light shining into darkness. And that's our responsibility. Not everybody's going to hear it. Remember when Jesus sent his disciples out. What did he say? He said, you go into a city and they don't receive you, what do you do? He said, you kick the dust off your feet and you just go on down the road. They'll, they'll have to stand before God. That's, I can't change anybody. You can't change anybody. But I can confront you with the truth. That's the only way that we have the potential to repent is to be confronted by the truth. 1 John 1 says this, If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not the truth. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You and I, church family, must live the truth, speak the truth. And if we don't, you know what we're doing? We're failing to shine the light of the truth of God. Whatsoever is exposed is exposed by the light. The light of what? The light of truth. I'll show you one last passage of Scripture, and then I'm closing, and I promise today. One last passage turns just four verses. Matthew 5 verses 13 through 16. Let me show you. People are tripping over good works somehow thinking that good works does not involve reproving someone. And I'm not saying that you need to be an activist. I'm not saying you need to build a placard or a a sign and carry it when you go to church or have t-shirts made and all these. I'm not saying that. I'm saying live a life of the truth when opportunity is presented for you to speak up for that which is right, then do it. That's all that I'm asking you to do. When, every, when the opportunity is presented to you, then you simply speak forth the truth of God with a clear conviction. Look at Matthew 5 for a moment. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? You know what? There's a part of the church that doesn't have any flavor. There's no, there's no preservation, pre- pre- preservation power within it. You know, there, you know some, I, sometimes I get a little bit down and a little bit intimidated because some of the... I mean, I don't get down very often. I'm mostly a pretty much up type person. But every now and then, because I see sometimes churches that are, that are bigger and, and all of these things, and then I hear the sermons and such, and I, there's no conviction to it. There's no piercing element. There's nothing preserving. It's just gathering church and everybody's good and everybody... You know what? If church doesn't have an edge, I'm not sure it's church. I'm not saying we should beat people up all the time, shear the sheep and all those things. I understand the balance that's necessary. I've been doing this a long time. But I want you to know that the preaching of the Word of God should penetrate our heart and mind. And, and, it, and there are times it's going to convict us a little bit and it's going to deal with issues and attitudes, you know. And it's going to tell us that sometimes the field needs to be burned down because God wants to bring forth better fruit. Come on, somebody. And he said, You are the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but they put it where? On a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We, for whatever reason, think that the only good works is benevolent acts. I believe in benevolent acts. Let me say this. If someone is sick, I need to give them medicine. If someone is naked, I need to give them clothes. If somebody's hungry... I need to give them food. If somebody is lost, I need to give them direction. 
But let me tell you, if somebody's living a lie, I need to give them the truth. And we need to give people the truth in the culture in which we live today. And I'm going to close and Daryl join me on the platform this morning. Let me make one last comparison and a concluding point. What a powerful altar experience we've already had. We're just simply, it's my responsibility. I'm releasing the convictions God's put upon my heart. I'm joining other pastors across the nation. And it is that we are to resist the spirit of the age. Let me compare something for a moment. Let me try to do and use the tools that Jesus did, and that's a parable, a connecting point, a thought in my mind. Some people think, for whatever reason, that this subject of homosexuality should be taboo to the church. Don't touch it. Don't go there. Am I being honest? We've been told that by our culture. Stay away. We've been told that by other churches. That if you say anything at all about it, then the perception if someone had homosexual tendencies or whatever might come into the church and, and then they would feel alienated and whatever the case. And so I, I don't think that's always the case. If conviction is present, the Holy Spirit can convict your heart. Right? And that's what we desire. So let me give you this analogy for a moment. Many teach us to affirm the homosexual and not offend him or her by declaring their lifestyle sinful. Let's compare adultery for just a moment. If you or I knew a married couple and we knew both of the spouses, we knew them well, they might not be Christians, but they're friends of yours, perhaps family, and you discover that one of them is in an adulterous relationship and the other person has no knowledge of it. But you've made that discovery, that discovery. Okay? What should your response be? Should you just serve the adulterer in love, bake him a cake, do good works towards him, or should you reprove him in love? Should you reprove? You answer the question. Should you? What if it was your child? Come on now. Come on. Yeah, there's more. We'll deal with that later. What if it was a... a, a, a cl- Listen. What, was, and what if the spouse that was the victim found out later that you had knowledge that he, let's just say, he was committing adultery with other people and coming home and sleeping with her. You had knowledge of it and you bake the cake. Because that's what we're told today. Just bake the cake and don't reprove. Bake the cake if you want to and then write on there, brother, you need to repent. This thing's not right. Come on, somebody. Amen. So for whatever reason, why did you use that analogy, Pastor? For whatever reason, we are intimidated to touch this taboo subject in the church. We'll touch the other subjects, but not this one. Well, maybe at other churches, but not at First Assembly. It's our responsibility to shine the light. It didn't come, I didn't go to it, it came to me. Last point, isn't it our responsibility as believers to know the truth, conform our lives to the truth, and then speak the truth in love? Isn't that our responsibility? By the word of God, we are, we hold the answer. We hold the answer. It's the word of God. This is what will change a homosexual, a revelation of who Jesus is. Come on, it will. Same way it will change the adulterer, the fornicator, the drunkard, the alcoholic, everything that we were, everything that we were. What changed us? A revelation of who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, that blood that was shed, the atoning sacrifice, forgiveness for our sins. And he doesn't leave us in that sin. He delivers us from that sin. Remember this. Remember this. The word says that the law was given by Moses. 
But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We're the culture that wants the grace. Come on now. But not the truth. The truth is that grace empowers you to change. Come on, the truth is the grace of God empowers you that if you were a homosexual, now you're not a homosexual. Come on, the truth says that I used to be an alcoholic, but now I'm not an alcoholic. I have power in the Holy Ghost. I have power in God. And so we hold the truth, we speak the truth, even to our own government. I want to say this, isn't it our government as well? Hello? For whatever reason, it's like the only person that don't have a voice is the church or the Christians. Well, listen, last I looked, the Christians gave us the government in the first place. That's the way the last that I looked, which they believe that those powers came from God. The government may affirm the lifestyle as normal and the government may resist the truth, but our responsibility is to speak the truth and to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. My conclusion, next week I'm going to just be on marriage, not on homosexuality. It is, immor- it is, and what's being propagated upon us in our culture today, it is immoral and blasphemous to attempt to take the marriage covenant and apply it to a homosexual relationship. And we should resist it in the name of Jesus Christ. As the church, walk wisely. Walk wisely. You've got to choose your moments to speak. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. But when the opportunity presents itself, if you know what the will of God is, the only thing that can bring people out of darkness is the light of truth. Know the truth and speak the truth and leave the results to God. Can't change nobody, but he can change everybody that will come to him in repentance in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. I know I probably preached a long time. I took the pulpit at 11.30. It is 12.18, so that is 48 minutes today. But I've finished my discourse. I pray that you as a believer has received it today in Jesus' name. Church family, these are, these are real issues. These are real issues. It's going to fundamentally change the way of life in America. The Supreme Court decision on, that's going to, the arguments that will be heard on the 28th, different things that are taking place it's our responsibility to pray I want to, I want to extend the invitation there was Jojo that shared an invitation to someone here today a few moments ago earlier I leaned over to him and I said Joe I really think it would behoove us to at least compel there may be somebody under the sound of my voice today that doesn't know Christ